0: Psalm chapter 9 now you know if you've been here up to this point you know David has had a lot of stuff going on in his life I mean he is he has been hammered <clears throat> and um, you know he in in the context of of these chapters, he has ascended to the throne. He, he is the king. And, and then he, uh, he suffers rebellion uh, in the capital city from his own son, Absalom. And uh, you know from our studies how Absalom turned the hearts of the men... Of Israel, away from David to himself, and so instead of living uh, in the palace uh, as he was accustomed, David finds himself fleeing. He's living in the fields again, and uh, and he leaves part of. His family in Jerusalem and takes part, you know, with him. He um, he he has uh, men that some of them are mighty men, very capable uh, war fighters, uh, aligned with him, and um, but still, as as if. You know, living in the, in the deserts and sleeping in caves, you know, was not enough. Then, you know, he's he, the pain of rebellion in his own house and um, all that goes along with that. He went through a range of emotions we, we studied. Uh, he was very, very depressed. Uh, he was despondent he was he was discouraged his mental and and his emotional state at times were not good. and he evidenced that in the words that he used and we we looked at all of that. And so now we come to to this ninth chapter, which is the last, chapter in this context in in which David is writing. And uh, you know he begins to talk about about praising God. And there there are some who you know will say that uh, uh, in this Psalm, Psalm chapter nine, you know, the rebellion has not been put down. Some who say that it has been, and I I tend to believe, you know, due to the heading uh of the psalm that the rebellion is over. It it's been put down and and Absalom is dead now. Uh David's son. And so he 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 looks at all of that and and he begins to talk about praise, and, uh, and and praising God, and how he's going to praise God, and so so this one psalm is, is broken up into three separate divisions, but uh, but I, I just I, I just want to want to say it the outset because again it is a psalm of praise and just just want to say at the outset of this particular psalm of how important it is to praise God there's power in praise and and we we find examples in scripture that it, it really doesn't matter what circumstance of life that you may face or how difficult or how trying or how hard you can praise God at any time. Amen. Even in the toughest of times, you can praise God. and and there's power in praising God. because when you praise God and we'll we'll look at some elements here, uh, you know, begin to shortly. When, when you praise God, then you then, then you tend to uh, be more focused on maybe some things that God has done in the past for you, or that maybe God is, is maybe doing currently, or, or if nothing else, what you can believe God for in the future and praise Him for that. And, and, and it tends to take your, your focus off of, of the things that you face at a particular time. Maybe it doesn't eradicate those things. But, but praising God in the difficult times uh, has the effect of refocusing your mind. And in this first verse... David's going to talk about his mind and 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 the role that it plays in him praising God. But and and listen, we, we've all had tough times. Every one of us. We've had tough times. We've had hard times. And and no doubt we will again in the future as God tarries his coming. But still, we need to understand. Uh, and know from experience the, the the power that there is in our praise to the lord amen As it's easy it's easy to get caught up and um, and focus more on on the struggles the struggles of life and the complications of life, easy to get more focused on that than it is the goodness of God. But, but here's, here's the thing. It, it doesn't matter what has happened to any one of us in the past. We can still look, even in the difficult times of the past, and we have to admit and acknowledge that God has been good to us. Amen. Amen? If you're alive, God's been good to you. Amen. You know, if you've got any, any semblance of health in your body, God's been good to you. Amen. If you've got a healthy mind, God's been good to you. Amen? <coughs> Amen. And we need to praise Him for His goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise him for his his goodness. So the, the specific occasion of this psalm I believe lies in the in the, the title of, of the psalm. Uh, if you're if you have a King James Bible, the the title uh, says to the chief musician uh, upon Muth Laban. It's a psalm of David. That that term, Muth-Laban, actually means death of the son. And so, because of the title here, I do believe that this psalm was written by David after the death of Absalom. Uh, Because again, uh, the term here is used, the Hebrew term uh, is interpreted death of the son. Now you know you you kind of wonder you know uh, you know how David could could praise God knowing that his son is dead. You know we look at it you know from uh, sometimes not from an experiential uh, standpoint, but you know we look at it and, and we think, well, you know it'd be difficult if I have a, if I had a son. You know that uh, even though he had been in rebellion, uh, and and the rebellion is put down, and my son has been killed or or essentially executed for that, it would be it would be very difficult for me to praise God. But I think in I think one lesson that we can learn. From Psalm chapter 9, it is the fact that even though contextually Absalom was dead. It was David's son. He he found that even in the death of his son, that he could praise God with his whole heart. Illustrating to us that even in times of personal tragedy, you should be able to praise God. And every one of us has had tragedy. We've had loss. We, we've, had, we've, we've suffered bad experiences. Every one of us have had tragic things to happen in our lives, but, but yet we find David here writing an entire psalm of praise to God after the news comes to him that that Absalom is dead. Absalom has been executed. Now, now the positive thing is David can go back home. He can go back to Jerusalem. He can go back to the palace. But but the lingering issue here is is the the effects of the rebellion. And then the ending of that with the execution of Absalom. Now, we need need to look at this and we need to look at these examples that we have in Scripture as things that really, really happened. They literally happened. Now, I've talked about some pretty gross things, you know, that, that happened in Scripture and And uh, you know when people just kind of furrow their brows like I just just don't know that I can can believe that. But what we need to understand is these historical events that we have in scriptural record actually happened. Amen. Amen. Absalom is fleeing Jerusalem. On a donkey. He, he's got real long, thick hair. And that and that hair's blowing in the breeze and it gets caught. That donkey runs under, under the limb of an oak tree. And that hair wraps around the low-hanging limb and snatches Absalom off that donkey. And he's hanging there. He can't get a loose. He's at the mercy of somebody, and, and somebody goes to, I believe it was Joab. And said, Absalom's hanging in a tree over there. And Joab says, I'll, I'll deal with this myself. I'll take care of this. And Joab goes over and he sends a spear through Absalom. And Absalom dies hanging on the, the limb of that tree. Now, this really happened. This really happened. It actually happened. And and it really happened after this fact that David could pick up the anointed pen and parchment and, and write the the inscription to the chief musician upon uh, upon Muth Laban. I'm gonna write a psalm of praise. It what what this is literally saying is David saying, "I'm going to write a psalm of praise to God upon the death of my son"? And, and you say, "Well, how can that be? Was David uh, was David glad that that Absalom was dead? No, we we know through Scripture that that is not the case. He mourned the death of Absalom. But but what David is is helping us to understand. Is that even in the worst times of life, people can praise God. Amen. Amen. In the worst times, you say, well, it's, it's kind of hard for me to praise God when, when things are really bad and things are not going well. And, and, and indeed, according to, to the flesh, it, it is hard. But, but if you can get your mind and your focus on, on the goodness of God, listen, it, it, it doesn't matter how much I've been in pain this week, God is still good. Amen. It doesn't matter how bad I have hurt in my body this week, God has still blessed me. I'll tell you how bad it bad it was Monday. My wife didn't work Monday, and she was home when I got home. and I come dragging in the door. I don't know, maybe a little after lunchtime. And she said, you know, uh, did you have a good day? And I thought, what a dumb question. Here I am dragging myself in the house. I'm hurting so bad, I can't hardly stand it. And I said, No. It has not been a good day. Well, now, wait a minute. You're you're the preacher. So? I have bad days just like you do. I have pain in my body just like you do. And I told her, I said, the only thing I'm interested in right now is getting a shower, and dragging myself to my room and laying down in the floor, so that I can I can stretch out and 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 I was there I was there most of the rest of the afternoon was I not? Because it it just it painful just wasn't a bad was not a good day. Yesterday was a little better but not much. Today about like yesterday. Neither one of them is bad as Monday but. But that's the reason I said it It seemed like it's been a long week. You know, but even in the middle of all of that, I can look at the things that God has done for me in the past and still praise God with everything that I have because He's a good God. Well, if He was so good, why are you hurting so bad? Well, you know, sometimes you just... Sometimes you can be real young and real dumb, you know, and you think your body's going to live forever. And somebody said the other day, said, "Be careful! About the time you turn sixty, that check engine light's going to come on." What they're saying is things going to start cropping up here. You know, that's going to be the result of some of the things that you did in the past. And that's exactly what's happening. So I can't blame God for it. And it's a consequence of sowing and reaping. It'd be great if God just, boom, just healed every bit of it. and But but what if He doesn't? And He may not. You know, I know my knees are worn out and... You know, they need replacing and all of that kind of stuff. And you say, well, God can't heal it. Yeah, He can. But, you know, He just, you know, because of the law of sowing and reaping, He may just let the doctor do His thing on it. It's kind of like somebody said one time, you play dumb games, you win dumb prizes. And I think sometimes I'm winning dumb prizes. You know, for dumb games that's been played in, in the past. But, you know, my point is not to moan and groan about the dumb games I've played, you know, in the past. The, the point is that in the middle of every circumstance in life, you should be able to praise God. Because in Psalm chapter 9, David is praising God and, and, and he's received the death of his, the report of the death of his son. And he still says in verse number 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now I want to stop right here. And and I I want to to tell you again that the Hebrews viewed the heart as the seat of thought. Now, in, in... Probably the majority of cases. When you read the word heart in your King James Version, it's not talking about that blood pumping organ in your body. It's talking about the seat of emotions, which is your mind. Now, other other translations of, of the Bible will say mind. Because that's really that's really what what it is. But David, but the point that, that I want to make right here in in verse number one is the fact that David said those first two words in in verse one of chapter nine. He said, "I will," and what that tells you is is that David's David praising God at this particular moment, was a conscious decision on his part. He said, I will praise. I will praise you. Or in in your King James, says, I will praise thee. That word thee is in italics, which means it was inserted by, by the translators for greater clarification. But he said, I will praise. I'm going to. I've made up my mind. I have made a decision that I will praise the Lord. Now, again, I want you to focus on what he's saying in the circumstances. Absalom's dead. And David said, I have made a decision that I will praise the Lord but wait a minute David what are you talking about I mean Absalom is dead David said I have decided that I will praise but David you've got a funeral to plan I have decided no no matter who's dead no matter what I've got to plan I I have made a decision that I will praise him he decided to do that see praise in any circumstance whether it's good circumstances whether it's bad praise in any circumstance is not just automatic you know something you know happens good and you know and 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 automatically oh I praise you lord no nope. you make the decision i will praise listen it's a conscious decision that you make when you come to the house of god and and we say you know we say let's all stand and Let's begin to praise the Lord. Everybody stands. Most everybody begins to praise the Lord. Why? Because you made a conscious decision to do that. Oh, now, you may not have gone through the process and said, well, now, let me, let me see. And am I going to praise Him or, or am I not? Am I going to praise Him today? Or am I just going to just you know not, not praise Him? You know, I hope hope the decision was made before you ever got here. I am going to the house of God. And when I get there, I am going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to magnify Him. What what are you saying? I've decided that I will Praise the Lord. No matter what's happening, I'm going to praise Him. No matter what's not happening, I'm going to praise Him. David made a conscious decision in, in, this, in this circumstance or, or in this time. He, uh, he, he, he fully engaged his mind In His worship. And and again I want to say worship and praise to God. Is not a mindless endeavor. Even when I pray. It's not a mindless endeavor. I choose the words that I use. When I pray to the Lord. Now I pray when I pray to God I pray just like I'm talking to you know just just like He was sitting in the chair you know right there I, I I I talk to Him just like I talk to any human being but but I choose my words it it's not that you know it it it's not that you know I just open my mouth into words. Just automatically come. I choose the words. Praise and worship to God is not a mindless endeavor. If it's a mindless endeavor, then you're not praising Him with your whole mind. David said, I'll praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. What's he saying? Again, that heart in King James is the mind. But David is saying, my entire mind is going to be engaged in praising the Lord. Amen. You could look at it like this. David could be saying in in so many words, when I praise God, I'm not going to be, it's not distracted, praise. It's intentional. I, I know I've got a dead son to deal with. But the death of that son is not going to distract my praise to God. My entire mind is going to be involved. Now, now here, here's, here, here's our problem sometimes. And obviously it was problematic in, in David's time too. The re- for the reason that the Spirit of God chose the words, you know, that, that we read in Scripture. But see, we, we, we can think that praise and worship to God is a mindless act. We can say, let's stand, let's, lift, let's all lift our hands and let's begin to praise the Lord. Well, we can stand. It can be automatic. Lifting your hands can be automatic. Praise can be automatic as far as the words that you're saying. But listen your mind be a hundred miles over in this direction. Oh, my hands are raised. I'm, I'm saying the right words, but yet my mind's on having to cut the grass tomorrow. Or having to go get the oil changed in the car tomorrow. Or... Oh, I, I should have made that phone call today and, and I forgot. What is that? That, that is distracted praise. That, that's not praising with the entirety of your mind. Because when David said, I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart or my whole mind, what David is saying is, it's not just that maybe my hands are raised and and that I'm saying the right words because I'm so accustomed to saying the same thing. David, What David is saying and trying to help us to understand, it is this, that when I praise Him... My the entirety of my mind is engaged and focused on praising God. It's not focused upon the months that I just spent in the wilderness running for my life. It, it's not focused on the fact that uh that that Shimei, you know, the the the, the Cushite, you know, the Benjamite. You know that when when I was fleeing for my life, it's it's not focused on the fact that when he saw us coming, that he ran out and started cussing me and throwing rocks at me and kicking up dust and all of this kind. My mind is not focused on that. My my mind is not focused on the incident of Sheba when when I'm running for my life, all of that. Is not going to distract me when I praise him. The fact that that Absalom is dead. Is not going to be a distraction when I praise him. I'm going to engage the entirety of my mind. When I praise him. I'm going to praise him. With my entire mind. All of my mental energies is going to be used in in praising God. So, by passionately praising the Lord at a very difficult time in his life, David proves a powerful example for us. His, His enemies had been in furious pursuit of him. So much that he felt he stood at the very door of death. Yet, in the midst of life threatening danger, David focused his mind on God. And and this is the key. When, When you go to praise Him, you need to focus your mind on Him. Don't be distracted by anything else see the problem with humanity is when it comes time for corporate worship we we're, we're too concerned about what this one is thinking and what that one's doing over there and what this one is not doing and and you know if I praise in a certain way what 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 are people going to think you know about this and what are they going to think about me amen when when that is the case then then we we our mind is not Focused on God. When your mind is focused on God in prayer, in praise, or in worship, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Or what they're not doing. It, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Why? Because my entire mind, I am focused solely on On the Lord. I'm focused solely on giving God. What he's worthy of. My praise. My my worship. He's worthy of it. In spite of how I feel. He's worthy of it. In spite of what my day's been like. He's worthy of it. In spite of what. I left at home the problems that, that I left at home. God is worthy. And He is worthy of me engaging the entirety of my mind and focusing solely on Him when I praise Him and I worship Him or I pray to Him. So when He meditated... On the Lord rather than his problems. His heavy heart, heavy with the death of Absalom. His heavy heart overflowed with praise. So in in doing so, it teaches us an important lesson that I've already stated in our In our most perilous trials, we should take our eyes off our problems and fix them on the Lord. Take our eyes off the problems and fix them on the Lord. Can I tell you something? God is bigger than any of your problems. Amen. God's bigger than any of your trials. Yes. He's bigger than any of your hurts, your pains. That the problem is comes in when we focus, because when you focus on, on on something, it makes it bigger. Right. See. The Bible says, what the the psalmist wrote and said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, think about this for a moment. How do you magnify the Lord? Listen, a God that fills all of the universe, how do you magnify him? What happens when you magnify something? What happens? Make it Makes it bigger. Makes it bigger. These glasses that I use, it's nothing but a magnifying glass. They call them readers. at Office Depot. But see, when when I look at the pages and I look at words on the page, it's blurry. I I, I can't even read it. it. It's all blurry. But then when I put something on that changes the perspective of what I'm looking at. Now... I can read every word on the page. In fact, I can even see very clearly those little bitty dots on there. That's called a period. I, I can even see all of that. Why, why is it? It's because these have given me a change of perspective in, in words that are written at a, at a certain distance. And so these words have become magnified. See, it's not that the words are, are any bigger. They stay the same size. In fact, mo- most of your Bibles are, are written, if you're familiar with, with computers, most of your Bibles are written in either 8 or 9 font. Now that's not very big. But I'm going to tell you something. At no point in time does those words get any bigger. It doesn't, it doesn't all of a sudden go to 10, 11, 12, 14, 16 font. It never does it. But what these do is gives me a change of perspective on the written words that I can't focus on and, and now I can so when the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me, he's not saying, let's make God bigger. Let's make God bigger now. And see, here, here sometimes we, because we don't engage our mind in what we're doing, we'll say things like, oh, I magnify you, Jesus. I magnify you. Let me ask you a question. When you say, oh, I magnify you, Lord, what are you saying? I mean, in your mind, what are you saying when you say, "I magnify you, Lord"? And and we hear preachers give behind the pulpit and they use that certain tone and and that certain shakiness. Oh, I magnify you, Lord. And we think, whoa, man, the anointing. Now, what are you? What are you saying? What are you saying? When you say, I magnify you, Lord. What are you saying to him? I'm making you bigger. He already fills the universe. But the psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. I know that. But what is he saying? When he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. You don't know, do you? You don't know what you're saying when I say, when you say, oh, I magnify you, Jesus. You, you know why? Because you've said it for 40 years, some of you. And and it's just something, you know, just, oh, I magnify the Lord. Oh, what do you say? What are you doing? Oh, I'm magnifying the Lord. How are you magnifying the Lord? Well, I'm. you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, um... And that's as far as the answer gets. You you know. No. I I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Well, you know. I mean, it's magnified. Magnified. How can you make something bigger that already fills the universe? The psalmist is not saying let's make God bigger. You want me to put it in Treywitz's translation? The psalmist is saying, oh, get your focus solely on God with me. Let us, me and you, let us exalt His name together. Magnify the Lord with me. Magnification has everything to do with Perspective. It's what you focus on. It's what you focus on. You can go out there tonight if that moon is shining. I don't know if it is, but if it is, you can go out there tonight and you can look up in the sky and say, oh man, that moon sure is pretty, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. Pretty pretty moon tonight. Shining bright. But see, when you get a telescope that's powerful enough, and you start zooming in on that moon. All of a sudden, that moon to your natural eye that looks about that big around, all of a sudden now looks about that big around. Did the moon grow in size? No. It is still the same. It's still the same twenty five thousand miles away from the Earth that it was before you stuck a telescope to your eye what happened when you stuck a telescope to your eye was brought that moon in perspective. Now you can see different things. You, you, your telescope is strong enough. Man, you can see craters. What's well, obviously craters and dark spots. And, and you can look at that and say, Wow, man, that, that moon, that sun, that's a magnificent... Here, you need to see what I'm seeing. That moon is Magnificent. I mean, there's things that you can see with the the telescope that you can't see. You can look up and say, oh, the moon sure is pretty. But you put a strong enough telescope to your eyes and the moon stops being pretty and it starts being magnificent. Because you can see detail 25,000 miles away that you can't see with the unaided eye. That's what happens when you begin to focus on God in your praise. When you magnify the Lord, and as the psalmist said, you're not making God any bigger than what He already is. The only thing the psalmist is saying is you need to change your perspective of God. Because when you start focusing on Him and you start seeing Him for who He is and and for what He is. When you start looking at Him as the Savior of my soul. When you start looking at Him as the sustainer of my body. And when you start looking at Him as the life giver, Amen, both physically and spiritually, then you have to say, Oh, He is a mighty God. He's a magnificent God. It's not that God has gotten any bigger than He is. It's just that your perspective has changed. Amen. Amen. Your perspective has changed about the whole thing. So when David said, I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart, with every bit of my mind, I'll praise Thee. I will show forth all your marvelous works. I'll show I'll show them. I'll tell about them. I'll talk about them. I'll help people to understand. So whenever trouble surrounds us, we should take a stroll through the past. Because every one of us can rehearse his or her personal history and testify to God's faithfulness. Amen. I was an alcoholic, but God was faithful to me. Now, I wasn't. I'm using that as an example. I, I was an alcoholic. But even in all of that, God's been faithful. God took took care of me. I I was a drug addict. But God's been faithful. I was a... and, And you can fill in the blank because it does not matter what's in the blank. You take a stroll in the past and you start looking at it and you start counting the ways. And you have to come to the understanding and admit God has been faithful to me amen. Amen. amen i I was not an alcoholic I was not a drug addict never been addicted to nicotine but i will I will tell you this I had my vices that that were just as bad as anything that That anybody else could do. I had my vices. And while people can stand and say, you know, God delivered me from alcoholism, from drug addiction, you know, from whatever. God delivered me and that's that's a great testimony. Say God was good to me. God was faithful to me. Because He kept me. You know, in all of that, God kept me. He's been faithful to me. And I can stand and say, well, I had my own problems. I can look at what God kept me from. See, it is no greater demonstration of the power of God to keep me from some things than it is to deliver you from other things. Same power of God. When we understand that sin is sin, it doesn't matter what it is. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. I, I can look back in my unregenerate days and say God was faithful to me. God was good to me. That's the reason when I praise Him, I'm going to praise Him with all of my mind. Praise Him. My mind is going to be engaged in what I'm doing. Amen. Just give you a little personal example. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm too transparent. I'll just give you a little personal example in closing. Because I focus so intently on on every service and put everything that i have physically mentally and emotionally into every service especially on sunday morning where i'm leading worship teaching a bible study and leading worship and 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 preaching and and and, and all of that kind of stuff by by the time sunday morning's over I, i'm a waste I'm a waste physically, emotionally, and spiritually, <clears throat> because I do it with all of my mind. So when I get home, the only thing I'm interested in is changing into more comfortable clothes and getting in my recliner or laying in the floor, my wife fixing a little bite of something to eat. You know, for later in, in the afternoon and just doing nothing. You say, well, that's kind of lazy. No, it isn't. Because my body is re- refreshing, my mind is refreshing, and so is my spirit. Right. In fact, by the time I get home, I typically don't do anything related to church. My, my mind needs to refresh. It's kind of what David is saying. I will praise Thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I'm going to make the decision to praise You. And every bit of my mind is going to be engaged in what I'm doing. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. If David did it on the heels of Absalom, having a spear run through him while he's hanging in a tree helpless. If David can say, I'll praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart, right in the middle of that situation, I'm telling you there's nothing that you and I face that we cannot praise him for or praise him in the middle of it. Well, well, what about loss? I mean, you lose, you you know, you you lose you. It's sorrowful. It's a sorrowful time. I I know. I know. See, there was a man by the name of Job that lived about the same time Abraham did. Job lost all his kids. One fell swoop, they're all gone. They're all dead. Job had this statement right on the heels of that news. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. What's Job saying? God's been good to me. He gave me all these kids and, and they're gone, but God is still God. And his name is still a blessed name. Amen. Amen. So, in in the middle, in the middle of it, in the middle of sorrow, I was reading the other morning about them two old boys, two old sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. You remember those characters? I mean, God had no longer told them, you know, where to get fire. You know, from to take and put on the, on the altar of incense and in the holy place in, in the tabernacle. Them boys just thought they knew better than God. Your, 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 your King James Version calls it strange fire. A different translation uh, calls it abominable fire. And they offered that up to the Lord and the fire of God came down. Boom! Killed both of them boys instantly. Here's what God said to Moses. I want you to go to Aaron. I want you to get his brothers. Those brothers. His sons. Their brothers. You go in there and you get them boys in the, in the clothes that they're in. And you to take them outside the camp and you're to bury them. God... Told Moses, and you tell Aaron, don't you weep, and don't you mourn, don't you shed one tear for those two boys? Now, listen, don't you know that was hard? Don't you mourn for those boys? That that, that was that would be a hard thing to do to to have a you know two sons killed at the, in the same thing. Same fell swoop. And, and God says, don't you shed a tear. Don't you go through a mourning stage. You act like nothing ever happened. That'd be difficult. That'd be tough. So we, we do mourn. Things happen. Trauma happens to us. But David has given us the illustration in Psalm chapter 9. That even in the middle of tragedy. Tragedy. You can determine that i'm going that you're going to praise God with all of your mind amen amen God bless you